Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you have blessed us with, where we can gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you. We've worshipped you in prayer. We've worshipped you in song. Lord, now we come to hear your voice. Lord, we pray that we may silently be submissive to your word now. Lord, we pray that you may speak through me. May any error be kept far from my lips this morning. And instead, may I speak what is true in accordance with your word. And may this morning be a time where we are encouraged all the more to serve you and to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, sheep are very prominent in our house. It's not because we live on a farm. It's not because we have sheep. But they're very popular in the house. The farm animal books uh, with the children are very popular. And there's sheep toys that are around. And whenever you're looking in a book, if you say there is a sheep, oh, it's sheepy, sheepy, where's sheepy? We're always looking for the sheep. And if the sheep gets lost in the house, a particular sheep toy, we have to go on this hunt for it. Although one particular sheep toy is not allowed to go to bed uh, with Pippa, our youngest, because uh, she tends to eat the sheep. And, uh, and little bits of it come off. And so as a choking hazard, we remove the sheep uh, from uh, when she goes to bed and is probably bored at some point in the night and really starts to go to town on that poor sheep. But sheep are understood in our house. But what about shepherds? I don't think the children know the word shepherd at all. I don't think they understand uh, that word and have any concept of what a shepherd would be. They've seen shepherds in books uh, with Bible stories, particularly shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night when angels come and announce uh, the good news about Jesus' uh, birth. They would have seen shepherds, but I think they just think that they're people who hang around the sheep, not actually people who have some sort of job to do. What does it mean to be a shepherd? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we've, we've been slowly working through the book of 1 Peter. We come to this word shepherd in verse 2. Last week we looked at verse 1 of chapter 5 and looked at uh, elders and particularly how Peter as a fellow elder is qualified to speak to the elders of the church. But now he introduces a new word which is be shepherds, be shepherds of God's flock. Now is Peter starting a farming textbook at the end of his book. He started to uh, lose the plot a bit here and he's starting to talk about uh, what it means to, to be a Christian, means that you need to go out and get yourself some sheep and, uh, and be a shepherd of those. No, what he's doing is he's using a very common term that is used for God's uh, leaders of his people. He is using that term shepherd as the, uh, in reference to the leaders of God's people and how they're to look after God's people who he also calls sheep. It has a long tradition going right back into the, uh, the Old Testament where again and again God's people are called sheep and God's leaders are called shepherds. But the question is, why have shepherds of God's flock and why call them shepherds? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning, Shepherds are needed to serve. Shepherds are needed to serve. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. And the first one is shepherds are needed to serve. Why have shepherds? Because they're needed. And we see that in verse 2. Peter says to these elders, to these leaders of the church, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. God's people need shepherds over them. They need people to be caring for them. He says, under your care. 
and then serving as overseers. God's people need people to come along and serve them and look after them, oversee them, look after them as they go about serving God in his kingdom. So then the question is, well, what is the work? What is this service that shepherds do? If they're needed, what is it that they get up to? Well, I think that's why he uses the word shepherd here, is to give us some idea as to what the leaders of a church should be doing for God's people, the sheep. What do shepherds do? Well, they feed the sheep. They care for the sheep by particularly uh, looking after them if they're hurt or injured. They go along, they bind up their wounds, they take out any thorns that might be in uh, their, I was going to say foot, hoof. Um, that anything that's wrong with them, they're responsible to be making sure that they're okay. And, of course, they're meant to protect the sheep. They're meant to make sure that nothing comes and gets the sheep and takes it off like a wolf or a lion or a bear. And they're meant to go after the sheep. Sheep wander away aimlessly. They're meant to be uh, some of the stupidest creatures on the planet, uh, that they just wander away. And they need to be rounded up and kept back on the right path. And I think all those things about a shepherd do illustrate what it means to be a leader of God's people. God's people need to be fed. They need to be fed on the word. They need to have the word explained to them by shepherds over them. They need to be cared for. As Christians, we get hurt, we get troubled, we have doubts, we have problems, and we need shepherds to come along, give us counsel, give us advice, Intercede for us, pray for us. It says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective in James, in, in James. And so who better to be praying for you if you're meant to have a, a powerful man than someone that is, uh, if a prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, better than getting an elder who should be one of the most righteous people in the church because they're meant to be examples to the flock and they get kicked out of office if they're not behaving in a righteous way. You should be getting them to pray for you. You should be coveting the prayers of your elders. They should be the first people you're turning to for help when you have a particular problem as shepherds that look after the sheep. They should also, the shepherds, they keep away the wolves and that's what God's people need as well. They need people to come along and say, that is heresy that is being taught. Wolves come along, they try to teach the sheep things that are false. And you need shepherds that know their Bibles well, know their doctrine, And they can say, no, that is error. Don't listen to that person and what they're saying. And they show you from the word where they have gone wrong so that you don't go on a false path, that you don't end up going and being devoured by people who are ready to attack the sheep. And also, they chase you back in when you go off course as well. Just like sheep wander off, fall into all kinds of problems, don't know their way home, you need shepherds to come along Christians. Many Christians backslide. Many Christians wander astray. They don't know what to do. You need shepherds to chase them back onto the right path to say, no, where you're going is wrong. And so sheep need those shepherds. And particularly in times of persecution, sheep need help all the more. And I think that's uh, we've got to remember that the context of this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 comes in the context of suffering. The whole letter's been about suffering as we've worked through it together, and particularly just the last part of chapter 4, from verse 12 on, we had many weeks, several weeks of suffering my sermons, through my sermons on suffering. The suffering is 
key to here because in chapter 5, verse 1, there's a word missing from the NIV, uh, sadly. The word therefore is at the beginning. Really, it should read, therefore, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. He's linking in his instructions about eldership with what has come previously, which is all about suffering. And when sheep are undergoing suffering, that's when they need shepherds most. They need good shepherds looking after them. And so it's not surprising that Peter would call the elders of the church shepherds in the context of this uh, section on suffering. That he, he's telling these elders, you need to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Sheep are in desperate need. Christians are in desperate need. They need shepherds to look after them. And we see this, particularly the greatest need, for a shepherd to come was where Christ came as the good shepherd. If you think that you don't need a shepherd over you, just reflect on what the good shepherd came and did for you. Jesus is referred to in John 10 as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he did indeed see the helplessness of God's people. They were caught in their sin. They had no way out of their sinfulness. They had no way to escape punishment. And so Jesus gave his life. That's what he says in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A shepherd is willing to give up of his life for the sheep so that they are able to go and enjoy eternal life. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you what it is to to reflect on what it is to be a sheep without a shepherd. Do you realise that you're wandering all over the place? And eventually you're going to fall into a deep, deep, dark pit. And that is called hell, a bottomless pit that goes on and on forever. You as a sheep will fall one day into that unless you turn to the good shepherd and ask that his life be given for you. That at the cross Jesus pays the penalty for your sin, for your rebellion, for your wandering astray and going your own way. You need the good shepherd to come and be a part of your life and to lay down his life for you. So we need shepherds. Quite clearly here in this passage he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He expects that there's shepherds in each town. But whenever there's a need, there's also an associated problem. There's an attitude that can often be developed whenever there is a need that has to be filled. And that is that people feel that they must fulfill that need and they do it out of compulsion. Sometimes there's social pressure from community to, to fulfil a need and that can be in the church as well. Sometimes people can feel like because there needs to be elders of a church, then I have to do it because there's nobody else to do that task. I have social pressure from around me to fulfil that need. And even parents in in churches, um, through church history, if you read anything of church history, you can see how people have been pushed into the ministry by parents who really want their their son to be a pastor, to be an elder of a church. But Peter wants to correct such an attitude, a begrudging, forced attitude about being an elder. And so that brings me to my second main point. My second main point this morning is that shepherds should be willing to serve. And he says that right after he gives the command to the elders to be shepherds. Verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers 
not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Because you are willing as God wants you to be. Peter says that shepherds should serve not because they must, but because they are willing. And really, it's quite easy for us to see how there are two ways that you can do any job. You can do a job because you're conscripted to do it, you're compelled to do it. You see that with the military when there's a war on, sometimes they can conscript men to go into the battle and the men don't particularly want to be there, they'd much rather be at home, but they've been forced into active service. And then there's another way that you can do a job and that is by being willing, by volunteering for the job. And that's what we have currently is our situation. I have never been compelled to serve in the military, but we have voluntary forces at the moment where people are willing to give up their lives. And trying to work out this distinction can be difficult. Joshua, our son, he's almost four, he's still trying to work out the understanding about voluntary work and compelled work. He thinks all jobs, sometimes, I think he thinks they're voluntary. We've taught him to say no thank you when he's asked if he wants something and it's much more polite to say that than no. Uh, no thank you is a much better thing. But then we were really using that in reference to if he'd like some food, he can say no thank you, or some sort of toy, he can say no thank you, or some sort of activity that he might enjoy. Would you like to come for a walk? Uh, he can say no thank you. Uh, but he then starts to say that about other tasks that we try to assign him, like uh, you need to take a bath. No, thank you. You need to go to bed. No, thank you. And he says it in a sweet little voice and goes back to what he's doing. He just understands that everything in the house is voluntary. All tasks have to be voluntary, and I can choose or choose not to do it. And, he's, I, I, and we're trying to develop in him this understanding that some tasks he must do, that he's conscripted for those tasks, and he has to do them regardless of whether he is willing or not. He simply must do those tasks, like go to bed. But God doesn't have that, that requirement when it comes to elders. He doesn't force people, whether you like it or not, you're going to be an elder. He wants a willingness to do the job. God doesn't want elders to do that job because they feel compelled to do so. Yes, elders should recognise that they do perform a task that needs to be done. We need elders. But elders should serve willingly, not with a begrudging attitude. Why would God want that? Why wouldn't he just force people in and say, you've got to be an elder? Why does he want you to be willing? Well, be honest with you, being an elder comes with much grief. And that's just from me experiencing a little bit of being an elder in a very prosperous and uh, uh, a free uh, country that has freedom of religion. But imagine what it was going to be like for these elders in these towns that are already starting to experience persecution and Peter's warning that more will be coming and we see in church history that it really did. The emperor himself turned vehemently against Christians and so if you've got elders who feel like they should be in that job, are they going to be very good elders when persecution comes along, when pain and trouble comes for being an elder? No. They're going to be like what John, uh, what, uh, John tells us Jesus said in John 10 about the hired hand. He runs away when 
the wolf comes. He doesn't want to lay down his life for the sheep. And so if you're going to have elders of a church, they must be willing, or otherwise they'll never serve well, and they may not serve for very long at all. They will not give stability to the church. We've got to remember that this is all linked back into with the suffering context. And we must be willing if we're going to be an elder of a church. And also I think it ties in not just with the way that we'll do our job, that God wants us to be willing as elders. It ties in with the way that God loves a cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9.7. It talks about giving particularly in regards to money, but the, uh, the, the idea flows across to everything. God loves a cheerful giver. If you're going to give up your life for the sheep and looking after them, then God wants you to do it cheerfully. He doesn't want you to do it begrudgingly. He wants you to do it willingly. So then the question is, how do you know an elder is doing a job unwillingly? Because you, as uh, most of you here, are not elders of a church, but you then have a responsibility to make sure that your elders are living up to the requirements laid down here in 1 Peter chapter 5. How do you know someone performing a task, particularly as an elder, is doing the job unwillingly? Well, firstly, are the elders being Christ-like? If you're meant to understand that they're shepherds, and Christ is the great shepherd, then you should always be comparing the shepherd to Jesus, the elders to Jesus. He should be the shepherd that the elders of your church are mimicking. And you see no hint in the Bible that Jesus was unwilling to do his job. You see that he was instead willing to come and lay down his life. He was willing to come and live in this world with all its uncleanness. It must have been terrible for Jesus to come and live on this planet when he was used to previously being in heaven and come down onto this earth and then not only do that but lay down his life for sinful humans, hang around sinful people for many years, for a couple of decades and then lay down his life. Jesus was always willing and so we should be willing like him if we are elders and you should look for elders that are Christ-like and have that willingness that Jesus did. Always be comparing your shepherds to Christ. Seems like a, a horrible thing to do to someone, to be comparing them to Christ, but that's what you should be doing because Christ is so much higher up. It seems like you're holding them to an impossible standard, but that's what you should be working them toward, holding them up to Christ. So how do you know if your elders are willing? Well, clues are evident if someone is unwilling to do something, and particularly elders... Do your elders, firstly, take forever to get something done? If somebody doesn't do something for quite some time after they've been asked to do it, well, then obviously they're not quite willing to do that. And so if someone is appointed to an office as elder and rarely comes to elders' meetings and doesn't want to be involved in making decisions and, or, or when decisions are made never really follows through, then obviously they're not willing and they shouldn't be serving in that capacity. The other way to know if someone is unwilling, an elder is unwilling, is do they grumble when they do their pastoral work? Do they grumble about doing it? Now, I'm not talking about an honest acknowledgement of the pain of serving. I mean, we see Christ, after all, he knew. He talked about the pain of being the chief shepherd. He was in anguish. His heart was heavy at the thought of what he had to do for the sheep in laying down his life at the cross. But he was still willing to go to the cross and do it. He was willing to go and do that. He acknowledged the pain. He, he feared the pain that was to come. But he was still resolute 
in pointing his face towards Jerusalem, going there and going to the cross to serve in that way. And so we should watch out for elders who complain about their work, who grumble about it, who have this attitude of they are doing it out of necessity, what he says here in verse 2, that they're not because they must but because they're willing. If they say, if I don't do it, nobody else will. It's kind of this attitude that I need to do it. I don't want to do it, but if I don't do it, nobody else will. I'm not willing to do the task, but I'm forced into it. It shouldn't be forced. And if they talk about things like, if I complain, nobody will listen, which is a terrible way to talk, really, because what you're doing, you're already complaining when you say that statement, and you're actually saying that the person who you're talking to is not interested in listening to you. And so those little hints that you can get about the work and that there's a forced attitude in some of those statements that people have about their labour as an elder. And then lastly, you should look for whether there's an evident delight in serving as an elder. Do they actually enjoy, do you get glimpses on a regular basis that they enjoy serving in that capacity, that they're willing to do so and so willing that it actually gives them a joy to serve as an elder? And I must admit to you today, I'll give you a little glimpse into my heart. I love serving as an elder. There's no other job I would much rather do. I really did like my previous work, but I much prefer what I'm doing now and particularly looking after you guys at Dremoyne Baptist. You're wonderful sheep. Uh, You're a pleasure to look after and I really do enjoy it. I am indeed willing to look after you as your shepherd over you. Uh, And I hope that you continue to look for signs of that joy in my life. And if I'm starting to show signs that I'm not delighting in that task, well, you should take some action. What should you do? Well, if an elder is being unwilling in the office, firstly, pray for them. Pray that your leaders will love their work and be willing to serve, that they may not do it out of compulsion, not because they must, but because they are willing. Then if you still see them having a complaining attitude, maybe speak to them. Encourage them to repent of what they're doing. Do they understand what they're saying? And exhort them to be joyful in their service. That they need to recognise how, how much pleasure it should give them to serve God and be an elder of his people. And if that doesn't change, if they're still grumbling along and complaining, well then you might need to relieve them of some of the duties that they're doing. Maybe you've overwhelmed them. They really do have too much on their plate. Or maybe even remove them from office. You have, as a membership have a responsibility to remove elders from office if they're not qualified to be elders. And if you have an elder who is unwilling to serve on a regular basis and you see signs of it and will not change, well, then they shouldn't be in that office because they're committing sin. Every time they serve in an unwilling way, they're committing sin. And you shouldn't want to perpetuate that sinful cycle that is going on within that elder. So that's elders I've spoken about this morning, that they are needed and that they should be willing. I now want to take a moment to challenge you also. After all, elders are meant to be examples to the flock. We see that in verse 3, which we'll look at in later weeks. It says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so whatever you see in an elder, you should be looking at, should I be showing that in my own life? And 
I think you should, because you've got to understand as sheep, you're needed to serve as well. And that's my third main point this morning. You are needed to serve. There's all kinds of duties that the church should be performing. And many of those jobs involve unofficial leadership positions. We're all miniature leaders in many ways. All of you have different responsibilities that you have leadership over. And some of those tasks are even tasks that elders do, like evangelising, speaking to others about Jesus Christ. You all have that responsibility. It's not restricted to shepherds. If, uh, discipling people, encouraging them to continue serving God, helping them understand the Bible. That's a good way to do that is by coming along to Bible studies and, and encouraging people to have a right view of different parts of the Bible. And even administration tasks. You have leadership responsibility over those administration tasks. And so, what should you be doing when you serve in those ways? Well, I think you can learn from what Peter says here, that elders should be doing when they serve. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. And so that's my fourth main point this morning. You should be willing to serve. Why should you be willing? Well, very similar reason to the reason I gave why elders should be willing is because the work of the Christian is possibly the hardest work in all of the world. The entire spiritual realm of evil is against you. Satan hates you serving God. And he will oppose you every point that he can. You will experience persecution for serving God in the different tasks that he gives you to do. And so if you're not willing to serve in those ways then you shouldn't be doing those tasks. You'll fall away, you won't be able to do them very well, and you won't keep them up for very long if you're not willing to serve. And then you should also recognise that God loves a cheerful giver. If you do a job for the Lord, a task for his church, you've been given a particular leadership responsibility and you do it with a begrudging attitude the whole time, then it spoils the whole work. If there's not a willingness to do it, then you see how it just contaminates it. See that with my children, you know, when you give them something to do and they do it willingly with the glee in their step, it makes the whole task enjoyable for them and for the person who gave them the task to do and who they might be serving. But if they do it begrudgingly, it ruins the task. So sometimes they will get them to get something, pass something to us, go to the other end of the house, and they'll go, no, and but then gradually do it. But sometimes there's a real, oh, yeah, sure, Dad, and comes back, here you go, Dad, and you say thank you, and you say, you're welcome, and it just makes the task that much more pleasant. Even though the task was done the same in, in the same way I, as in it actually achieved its purpose of getting a cup for me, but it's such a difference when it's done willingly. God loves a cheerful giver, and I think we all love cheerful giving. And so you should be willing when you serve the Lord. So what do you do, though, when someone is unwilling? How do you, how do you spot that unwillingness? How do you, uh, how do you think uh, that somebody is, is willing or not willing? Well, you've got to look at whether they grumble in the way that they do that task. Do they complain? Do they f seem to say it's out of compulsion that they need to do that? If I don't do it, nobody else will. That's your hint if somebody is doing their task willingly. Or are they doing it very slowly? They just don't seem to get it done. Or if it gets done 
It is after a long period of time. Obviously, they're not willing to serve in that way. Well, if someone's doing that, what do you then do? Well, confront them on their unwillingness to serve in that way. Encourage repentance that they've been doing something with an unwilling attitude. They've been sinning against the Lord by not serving as willingly as they should be with the the job that has been assigned them. And then inculcate a love for the work in them. I just don't think we realise what a privilege and honour it is to be called upon to serve God in any capacity. Whenever I try and think about um, how, how low a job is for the kingdom, I always go back to John and what he said about Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy to untie the, the, the laces on his sandals. I'm not, I'm not worthy to do that. And that was the most filthy of all tasks that you got slaves to do. You'd never get a student or anybody, a friend to do that. If we're not worthy to do that, then any task that God calls us to do We should have a willing attitude to do it because we get to do it for God. It is a privilege and an honour to serve him in any capacity. And so there's no place for grumbling in service of the Lord. But I know that we often slip into it. I can slip into it as well. I start to grumble about what I have to do. But I should remember, and I want people to encourage me to remember, that it is a privilege and an honour to serve God. And I should be doing it with a willing attitude and not an unwilling attitude. But if they continue to complain and grumble in the task, try and help them with the task, or even suggest that they stop doing it for a time until they sort out that attitude that is in there, that sinful attitude of not being willing to serve in that way. And if I spot it, I may take that task off you. I take grumbling very seriously There shouldn't be a grumbling attitude about any of God's work. And if you're going to grumble and complain about serving, then I will look at removing that responsibility from you. Maybe not uh, completely, maybe not forever, but until you actually start to realise what a privilege it is to serve in that way, that you have a willing attitude to do it. So do you recognise that although there is a need for service, we need elders, we need people to serve, that attitudes are important. Do you follow Christ's example in your own life by serving willingly in whatever office God has given you, whatever task he has given you, where you can? Do you repent when you spot in your own life an unwilling attitude that you've been serving in an unwilling way? And do you nurture a real delight in serving God? Go back to that idea of John that he's not worthy to untie the sandals and then consider what God has given to you is usually nothing like untying someone's dirty sandals. He's given you much better jobs than that and you're not worthy for them. And so it's a privilege to be able to serve in that way. Do you ensure that not just you are serving willingly but others around you, that elders and everybody else is serving at church willingly? Are you ready to confront elders and other people when they have that sin of an unwilling attitude? Or do you just turn a blind eye and not really care about the sin that is going on right before your very eyes? And are you even ready to say, look, I don't think you should be doing that while you've got such an attitude? Hard conversation to have with a person. But you should be ready to do so because it is indeed sin when someone serves not because they mu- um, when they serve because they must and not because they are willing. 
Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the tasks that you give us in your kingdom, which we are not worthy to perform. But you in your mercy and through the blood of Christ, you sanctify us and allow us to be able to serve you in so many ways, in so many pleasurable ways and with great honour. Lord, we pray that we may always serve with a willing attitude, that we may not think that we are serving simply because we must, because we're compelled to do so, because we're conscripted to serve. But Lord, may our service always be voluntary. And may it always be that we're cheerfully giving because you love cheerful givers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.